This is one of my absolute favorite Sundays of the year, not just because I get to help be a part of the next generation, uh, but because it's an opportunity for you to see like God is real in the next generation. And Pastor Jeremy says this same devil that attacks you is the same devil that attacks our children and our youth and our young adults. But the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, right? We believe that he can live in the next generation. Amen. It has been an incredible Sunday already, and I'm excited for you to hear from three of your next-gen leaders, and I'm just telling you, like, you're gonna be so proud of them. You're gonna be so proud of the next generation here at Timber Creek. And I wanna tell you, as a, as a parent, as an adult, sometimes these Sundays, we have a tendency to say, oh, this is awesome. I, I love that we're highlighting the next generation. I want you to know God has something tailor fit for you today. God has something special for you today. God has something for the kids, youth, and young adults in this room, but God has something for the senior saints, for those that, are, uh, that have maybe not made that commitment to, to Jesus yet. Everybody just have an open heart today. It's gonna be good. Uh, we are in our third installment of Three for 30. So if you've been here this year, a few times we've done something called Three for 30, and it's an opportunity to highlight several communicators. And today, you are gonna get to hear from three next-gen directors. So help me by giving it up for our very first next-gen youth director, Denzel, for the Lufkin campus. Let's go. Come on, somebody. Hey, that was for me, but come, come on, can we get up for Jesus in the house? Come on, how many of you know that you don't wanna stop praising in here? Hey, I uh, just wanna first shout out uh, Pastor Jeremy. Hey, thank you so much for just giving us this opportunity. Um, hey, I am so excited uh, to be here. Uh, I have the honor of leading the next gen uh, at uh, Timber Creek here, the Lufkin location. Uh, the, the youth in the room. How many of y'all are in the youth? Youth students, are y'all in the room? Come on, make some noise. Hey, uh, I wanna open up just asking you a question. Um, hey, has there ever been a moment in your life uh, where you felt uncertain? Uh, some personal situations, some uh, business situations, some financial situations. H have you ever felt uncertain before? You may be in a moment right now where you feel uncertain. Uh, you're probably even coming to Sunday, you're like, man, should I even try? Uh, Timber Creek today, uh, but hey, let me tell you that you are in the right seat, you are in the right place. Um, hey, today uh, we get to talk about uh, something special. Uh, we get to talk about something about don't stop believing. Uh, don't stop believing in God's promises. Don't stop believing in what God has called you to do. But have you ever been in a situation where you can't do anything else uh, to stand on God's promises? You know, there's been moments in my life where I just had to stand on God's promises. See, some promises uh, that he has for us, God has for us. Uh, we find out in Isaiah 51, 11, uh, God promised his word will never turn back void. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6, uh, God promised to go with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Isaiah 54, 17, he promised no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And if God promises our yes and amen, how come sometimes in my life I feel like nothing is happening? Have you been there before? Have you been there before? What do you do? See, the thing about uncertainty, it can lead you to hidden possibility. It can lead you to things you can never imagine. But the thing about uncertainty, it's either you go left or right. There's a 50-50 chance. You either go with one side or the other. There's really no middle ground. And how can uncertainty, my question for you, my main question for you today, is how can uncertainty in your life lead you to the path that God has for you? 
We find in Exodus 14 about a story of the Israelites, um, just in context about what's happening. The Israelites just got freed from uh, Egypt, from slavery. Pharaoh said, hey, I'm gonna let your people go, Moses. But in the moment of letting the people go, Pharaoh's like, man, I kinda, I kinda miss having some people working around here. So he sent his people to go and, 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 and get the Israelites. But in this moment, Exodus 14, uh, the Israelites are back and camping around, around um, uh, the Red Sea. And in this moment, they see the, the, they see the Egyptians coming around the hillside. They get scared. We have the Israelites getting uncertain about some situation in their life. And Moses being like, hey, come on, come on, come on. Calm down, calm down, for our God is gonna be with us. In the text we find in Exodus 14, verses 10 to 13, it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there was the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said, Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12, it says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But get this, verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see. Again, in verse 14, I wanna pause in this moment. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be what? Be, be still, be still. My first point in your notes, faith in God includes faith in God's timing. Faith in God means have to have faith in God's timing. See, Moses knew there was a temporary moment. He knew God was gonna do something. And because God already knew his name was gonna be glorified through, there was a moment there was a moment the Israelites were saying, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life. God, I don't know what you're doing in this moment. But Moses said, if you just trust in what? Stay firm on God's promises, just have peace, hold on. Let's reanalyze this for a second. Because what do I do when I don't see God's promise in front of me? What do I do whenever I get to the moment where my mindset is in a season where I can't see what God promised me? Have you been there before? There's been moments that you can see, you're saying, God, I know you promised that no weapon form against me shall prosper, then how come I feel this way? How come I'm in this moment? Have, have you ever prayed some uncertain prayers? You know, there's a moment that you're like, man, God, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll come through. Maybe you'll, you'll move on our behalf. Maybe you'll get to the place we need to, to be. You know, my mom is coming our second service. My parents are coming to second service, so I'm excited you're gonna meet them. But um, there was a moment in my mom's life whenever she was in her late 20s uh, that she prayed for a son. Um, and she prayed, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She waited, she waited, she waited until uh, God gave her a son. Little did she know it was gonna be this big old giant that, that she was gonna have. God promised it. It wasn't, it wasn't what, she, what she thought it was gonna be like. But anyways, there was a moment in my mom's life, there was a moment in my mom's life whenever I was 15, 16 years old where I wasn't living out the will that God had for me. How many, of y'all, how many of y'all got some praying mothers in the house, praying grandmothers? Come on, praying mamas. Hey, my mama was a prayer warrior. My grandma was a prayer warrior. Like, I would wake up in the morning before she, I would go and get breakfast, and she will be praying, and then she'll give me breakfast. Like, I was like, whoa, what happened in that living room, man? You're going, you're going to battle for, for someone. 
But in that moment, there was, there, in that moment in my season of my life, whenever I was about 14, 15, 16 years old, man, I didn't step into what God promised me. I knew Jesus, but I didn't make him personal. But in that moment, I, I was sitting in, 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 in just um, a distress and I was angry at the world. I was angry about my family. I was angry about everything. And I lashed out at everything and I felt comfort from other things. And in that moment, my mom sat me down and said, Denzel, don't you know the will of God for you is perfect? Don't you know the will of God for you is good? And I said, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Until I was 16 years old, went to a youth conference, and I remember on the ride back, just like many of the students, y'all, you picked up your students on the way back from camp, and I remember being on the ride back in my mom's driveway, in our, in our driveway, and I just sat there, and I said, Mom, I heard God. He said, his will is good and pleasing. In that moment, we got to bond and, as, as, as a mom and son, but in that moment, I didn't realize what God promised me. Why do I say all that? Parents, students, you may be in the room right now, or you may be in a season with your family, and you may like saying, God, this isn't what you promised. You, you may look at your family, it may be broken, maybe like you're, you're, you're trying to pray that everybody comes together, that people try to talk again, but you're like, God, it's not what you promised me. Can I encourage you to have faith? and what God has for you. Can I, can I challenge you that there's a moment where you realize you have done all you could in your power where you need God to come through. Come on, trust in God and have faith. He will work it out. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Or Romans 8.28, it says, and in all things, no, God will work out the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Second fill in the blank is God help me see what I cannot see. There's gonna be moments in your life where you're gonna say, God, help me see the things that I cannot understand. Help me see the, fa- help me see the, the problems that I, I'm, I'm getting into this moment and I don't understand why I'm going through the, what I'm going through. Every day, pray that prayer. God, help me see something that I can't see. My natural eye can't see, but my spiritual eye needs to see something to get me the encouragement, to get me through the day, to get me through the week, to get me through the season. I cannot see what all God has for me but to know that he is a great and good God and there's nothing my God cannot do. Come on, can I get an amen? I'm gonna start landing the plane here. Exodus 14, 21. It says that Moses stretched out his hands over the sea and all the night the Lord drove the sea back and the strong east winds and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. See, this is a miracle. Whenever the Red Sea split, this is a miracle. We read this and you're like, how is that possible? God was showing his power. God was showing that he still has a plan for the Israelites. He was showing them that I am almighty God, that you have nothing to worry about. Sometimes you gotta be going through moments and and you're gonna have to get through some seas. You're gonna have to get through some seas where you're like, God, I cannot see what's in front of me, but Jesus, man, help me get through what I'm going through. See, but in Exodus 15, We see the Israelites praising God, and sometimes in this moment, all you have to do is just stretch out your arms and just say, God, I praise you for what I'm going through, because in Exodus 15, verses two to four, it says, the Lord is my strength. This is whenever they praise that God brought them out of Egypt. He was their deliverer. It says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Come on, the Lord is his name. And God, help me. Come on. Man, when, when you said, God help me to see what I cannot see, 
That's so good, Denzel. And I think that there's many times in our life that we need to ask God for his eyes uh, because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Hey, our next speaker, she's gonna bring it. She's our kids director at the Lufkin location. Come on, give it up for Megan Campbell. Hey guys, Dins, you did such a great job walking us through the first part of Exodus and I'm gonna pick up right where he left off in chapter 16, but let me set it up for you first. Chapter 15 is all about them praising God for his deliverance. And at this point, they've been journeying for 45 days out of Egypt. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't journey 45 minutes down the road without my kids asking me 700 times, are we there yet? Or can we go to the bathroom? Or do we have snacks? Uh, the snacks is me, but whatever. So Exodus 16, chapter two, they've come to the desert of sin. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. At least there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So let's unpack this a bit. They're journeying, they're tired. I can guarantee you their kids are on their last nerve. They're all hangry and they have lost sight in 45 days of the goodness of God and the deliverance of the Lord. There's this moment where expectation meets reality and they do not align. And they have found themselves in what they viewed as a desert wasteland that nothing good could come from and they were surely gonna die. And I don't know if you've ever walked through a season like this, but I have personally been in my own desert wasteland for several years. Over three years ago, my husband relapsed. And over the course of the next two years, my entire marriage would completely disintegrate. I would find myself single parenting five very young children by myself. And I began to just go through the motions. I went through the motions of my parenting, at my job, and even in my prayer life, I'd subconsciously switched on an autopilot and every day was wash rinse, repeat. But the problem with autopilot is, it takes all of the focus off of who God is and shifts all of the focus onto what you can do in your own strength in the season of life you're in. And I can imagine that the Israelites were there, running on empty, going at it in their own strength, autopilot. But God doesn't leave them there. In verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight they will eat meat, and in the morning they will be filled with bread, and then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Ironically, about a year and a half ago, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I said these exact words. I feel like my life is a desert wasteland, and I'm just trying to get through it to feel something different not knowing that I would be standing here today by God's goodness and his grace, teaching on the exact topic that I was complaining about. 
In a short time after that conversation, I walked into my home and metaphorically speaking, looked on to the ruins and the rubble of a life that I had worked really hard to build. And in a first real and raw moment that I'd had with God in a long time, I cried out and said, where are you? Why is this my life? And just as God heard the Israelites' grumbles and he provided their exact need, he heard my cries and he whispered into my spirit, my darling girl, I've been here the whole time, but you have to let me in. And I was instantly reminded that Jesus is the ultimate carpenter. You see, Jesus' earthly father was a carpenter by trade. Jesus would have grown up learning the trade of carpentry with his family. And in this holy exchange I'm having, he's saying, I'm the ultimate carpenter. I can build your life and rebuild your life better than you can. Let me in. But in the wasteland, we lose the ability to objectively see the promises of God. Like myself and the Israelites, our, the promises become swayed and skewed by our emotions, by our situation. And as humans, we are innately selfish. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And if we don't get it, we dig in and try harder. And I'm gonna show you the route that God could have taken the Israelites on, maybe. He could have taken them this route, but instead, he took them this way. See, God had delivered them from Egypt, but he took them on a much different journey than I imagine they envisioned. He had to teach them who he was and that he could be trusted no matter what the situation was, no matter what the season looked like. God was more concerned about their development than he was about their comfort. And can I just say, if you're in the wasteland today, this season does not have the authority to destroy you. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. This season does have the authority to teach you and to develop you if you let it. And I love what pastor says, sometimes the greatest healing you can experience is a healing of perspective. So I woke up every single day and said, God, help me to shift my perspective. Help me to not see this as a wasteland that has to be rushed through to get to the other side, but instead as a journey that you're taking me on. And I may not know where we're going, and it definitely does not feel how I want it to feel but I trust you and I commit this day to you. And what can you teach me through this pain that I can't learn in any other season of life? And if I'm honest, sometimes it was multiple times a day that I'm praying for this shift of perspective. And when I shifted my perspective onto a holy God, I began to more clearly see his hand moving. I had a peace that surpassed all understanding and transcended every bit of pain and hurt and joy flooded in. There was a moment on a really hard day in the midst of my wasteland that God reminded me that he was protecting me even before my wasteland. I remember diligently praying over my all-in commitment 
and the number that God gave me was less than what I was expecting. And I wrestled with God for days. Like, I was like, you, you don't hear me, I'm, I'm telling you it's more. But I finally trusted God and submitted it. And on this really difficult day, God reminded me about my all-in commitment. He knew what I was gonna walk through before I knew what I was gonna walk through. And he guided and protected even back then. And that's not to say that I, feel, I would fill out the commitment and they would come make me sacrifice a chicken or something crazy if I didn't do it. But it was God showing me that he is in the details of our lives. He cares about every single aspect of your life and he could be trusted then and he can be trusted now in the wasteland. And I wish I could stand here today and tell you that I shifted my perspective and God brought me out of the wasteland immediately. But if I'm being honest, I'm still in it. And there are still hard days. Today was one of them. I almost killed my kids on the way here. <laughs> Sorry, Joa. <laughs> but I wanna leave you a verse to hang on to. And it's Matthew 6, 31. So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added onto you as well. If you're here today and you were in the wasteland, can I first tell you that you're not alone? And can I encourage you to shift your perspective to a God that is good and he can be trusted with today and let him worry about all of your tomorrows. He will give you what you need every single day, just as he did the Israelites. We know when to have fun and honk horns and we know when to take a moment and pray. And there's some of you that this symbolizes a little bit of your story too. At all of our locations, let me move in. They're telling me to get in so I can get this screenshot there in that. Father, I just pray over every family, every child, every person who is struggling with addiction, every person in a desert. Lord, I thank you for the vulnerability and the transparency of Miss Megan today. Lord, thank you for putting um, our kiddos at the Lufkin location in such good, capable hands of a strong mama who her center is you, even in the middle of a wasteland. I pray that you would bless her and God symbolically where she stands right now in the gap for those that are feeling the same, struggling with similar things, maybe very different things, that you are the God that meets us where we are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Megan one more time. Thank you, Miss Megan. All right, we continue on with our third, our third uh, speaker today. Uh, fresh from the Nacogdoches campus, been a part of the campus for some time now, uh, but uh, our new kids director at the Nacogdoches location, give it up for Will Patrick.
Good morning, Lufkin. Shout out to my people at Nacogdoches. I miss y'all. Hey, but I only got 10 minutes, so let's start this up because um, I don't want to get buzzed. All right, so, <laughs> so we heard Denzel uh, take us through the Israelites' journey, and we saw him as he, they got to the Red Sea, and, you know, they dealt with some doubts and some worries, but even despite them not seeing God's promises right away, we saw God still do a miracle. And then we had... Megan come take us through the desert wasteland, and we saw them as they struggled with some trust in the wilderness. And despite that struggle, God still provided every single day for them. So as we continue this journey, we're going to talk about some small steps and why small steps are important. But before we get there, what I want to do is I want to go ahead and read a chapter in Exodus, chapter 14, verse 2. And here's what I need you to do. Go ahead and buckle up real quick, because I'm going to talk about some really weird names, and I need you to just bear with me. So Exodus 14 says, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea you shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite of it, by the sea. So I think I just found a new three frontrunners for my next child's name. <laughs> if you can see my wife's look right now, um, we're going to keep moving on. So God tells the sons of Israel to turn back because he knew if they turned back, then the Egyptians would think they would lost, and they think what they were wondering, they think they would have an advantage over the sons of Israel, and they would ultimately follow them to the Red Sea where God would actually defeat them. So why am I telling you this? Because God tells them to turn back. And see, small steps, we know, small steps create what we call progress. And most times we think progress is just moving forward. Progress is moving forward, but that's not always the case. See, progress is moving in the direction of whatever your objective is. So when God tells the Israelites to turn back, his objective was to defeat the Egyptians, and he knew they had to turn back for that to happen. So when you are called to take a step back, don't be fearful of, oh, I'm not moving forward, because just because you're moving forward does not mean direction. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. See, when I was a freshman in college in San Antonio, I had to take some small steps to make some small decisions. Um, and some of those small decisions I made as a freshman were skipping class, sleeping lecture, not turning my work in. And what this did was it resulted in me being what they call being put on academic leave, which was just a nice way of saying, hey, buddy, we're kicking you out of school. So, and I just think, man, what if I just would have taken a step back. What if I would have turned around in those small moments when I was making these decisions that put me where I was at? See, something I was good at when I was younger was sports. Played football, played baseball, played a number of sports. And, and anybody who knows sports on a high level knows when you play defense, they actually teach you your first progression step is backwards. Your first progression step is backwards because the objective is to make sure you're protecting your goal, which is behind you. And as we take these steps in our journey, we're going to face some failures, some mishaps. We're going to struggle. We're going to have some obstacles that are going to knock us down. And what happens when we face these failures? We get discouraged. Has anybody ever been discouraged? Is anybody in here discouraged today? What happens when we get discouraged? We often want to stop in the middle of our progress when we're discouraged. So I'm going to take some time to talk to the parents. If you're a parent, real quick, do me a favor. Parents, close your eyes and do me a favor. Envision when your little baby was learning how to walk. And they would do the thing where they were like, stand up and try to catch their balance. And then they would take a step and do like the loose neck. And they would fall over. And what would you do as a parent? You would get down 
and help them back up and encourage them and do the, come on, baby, you got it. Come on, baby, girl. You and, and we would encourage them to keep moving. No matter how many times they felt, we encourage them to step up as parents and keep going. So here's my second question. If us as parents would encourage our children to get back up and keep taking small steps, how much more does our perfect father in heaven, who is the perfect parent, get down to our level when we fall and help us back up? When we take small steps toward him and he encourages us and he speaks to us, hey, I'm right here, I got you. Your journey is not over. That sin does not define you. I have a plan for you. I have a promise for you. He will continue to do this throughout our life. And just like our children learning how to walk, we understand that our situations in life are a process. So what do small steps teach us? They help us understand that there's no product without the process. There's no product without the process. There are so many things we say we desire in life. I wanna be fit, I wanna have money, I want my kids to be successful, I want a strong marriage. But when we say we desire things, do we really understand what we're asking for? See, we're not just saying we want a product. We're saying, hey, I want the process necessary to get that product, to meet that end goal, to get that result. See, I could say that I desire to be a successful student. I'd be lying. Because I wasn't willing to go through the process that it took to, eat, to meet that goal. So I'm going to read a chapter from the book of Psalm. And it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him also, and he will do it. See, we have to cultivate faithfulness. That means we have to walk in the way God's calling us to walk continually so we can develop what faithfulness is. Not being able to see the end goal, but still trusting God and walking in that manner. See, now as we continue the story of the Israelites, we get to chapter 20, and Moses is on the mountain, and he's receiving, he's receiving instructions and commands from God. And God's telling him things that he wants the Israelites to live by. We get things like the Ten Commandments, we get things like property laws, how to deal with violence, laws for the Sabbath, Ark of the Covenant. We get 11 chapters worth of commandments and instructions for how they want the Israelites to live. So here's what I want you to understand. See, when we ask God to bless us, when we say, hey God, I'm praying for what the desires of my heart are, can you bless me? What we're really saying is, Father, I'm ready to step into a divine partnership with you. And when you are in a partnership of any kind, that means you have to play a part in the process. So, I just wanna take a second to say, God bless Carrie Underwood. God bless that woman. But don't we love to get in the car that we call life and throw our hands up and say, Jesus, take the wheel? Jesus, take the wheel, you got it, I'm gonna kick back and you can do this. But here's what James chapter two says. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works. See, God is calling you to grab the steering wheel. God's calling you to drive, and he is the GPS. You have to take the small steps, and he is going to lead you into the destination that you're supposed to go into. It is a partnership. We have to play our part. 
As we get to chapter 32 in Exodus, the, the Israelites are facing some, and they're being impatient. And they go to Aaron like, hey, we can't see Moses, and we need a God to worship right now. We need a physical God to worship. And Aaron says, okay, go ahead and give me all your gold, and I'm going to melt it into this calf, and we'll worship the calf. And then he starts to worship this calf and even call it the God that brought them out of Israel. A couple of verses later, Moses comes down. He understands what's going on. He gets frustrated. Aaron, what are you doing? Don't look at me. You know how your people are. And we become impatient, right? And we face delay. And what happens with delay? It causes us to rush the process instead of trust the process. And because of this disobedience, the Israelites of this generation did not make us to the promised land. So, whenever you want to know where your priorities lie in life, check your small steps. They will reveal where your priorities lie. Every day you are making small decisions, you are moving to what is the most important thing in your life at that time. And when our discipline does not match our desire, we become distracted. And when we become distracted, what happens? We lose focus of what our true desires are. See, just like Aaron, when I was in college, I made excuses of why I couldn't go to class, why I couldn't study, why I couldn't do these things. But that's not where my story ended. See, I started going to school again, got back into school, started going to class, started studying, started turning my work in. And it was so fulfilling to know that I had a God who believed in second chances. That when I started taking small steps, that he would lead me to where I was called to go. And I know God has a sense of humor, because guess where I've worked for the last seven years? <laughs> a college. <laughs> I even met my beautiful wife in college. Um, man. Uh, that was good. <laughs> like, regardless of what you think, nobody likes blowing the horn. Pastor Jeremy might, but I, like, there's, it just didn't, doesn't feel right. Man. God, unfortunately for the Israelites, like Will said, they could not do the small things God was asking them to do in order to inherit the promise that he had given them. You see, Denzel said in the very beginning, God's promises never return void, and they didn't return void because the very next generation got to inherit the promise of God. Unfortunately, the generation before them had to, had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years and wander around, and God was just trying to remind them of how good he really was. They spent 430 years in slavery in Egypt. And when we talk about finding freedom here, we talk about finding freedom from your yesterdays, from your sins, from those hand-me-downs. But also, we, we have to find freedom from the Egypt that's inside of us. And you see, God might have delivered them from Egypt, but they spent years and years and years and years trying to get Egypt out of them. And that was not really God's plan for them. That was not really God's promise for them, but he knew his people, and he knew his people would need very clear instructions and guidelines, and he would create what we know today as the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, you know, in, in which he would establish the way that people would come to him. He would establish the way that people would pursue him, the way that people would have a relationship with him. And you see, the God of the universe had a very strict setup of, of guidelines and, and parameters as to how people would approach his throne how people would approach his presence, and his presence was guarded and protected, and it was not what it is today. You see, they had to go through a high priest, 
And Moses got this mountaintop experience where a million people below had no idea what was going on. They just assumed that God had forgotten them, even though God had literally walked them out of uh, Egypt, had walked them through the wilderness, had provided day in and day out. The, the grumbling and complaining, the moments they just thought, like, God, do you even hear us? And he hears them and he provides for them. And it was over and over, the miraculous things happening. But in a small stretch of time, they just would lose faith in God. And they were so used to seeing these physical idols, these physical beings, these physical gods that they had to establish what they thought was their own God and their own system and their own worship. When God all along was just saying, hey, just trust me. Like, we're gonna get this, we're gonna get through this. If I deliver you into the promised land tomorrow, you're not ready. And how many of that is, is that our story? If, if you had the promise today, you're just not ready, just trust me a little bit more. Just trust me a little further. You see, because God's promise ultimately was not that anyone would stay in the wilderness. God's promise was not even that they would stay in the promised land. God's promise was not that his people would have to access through a high priest or through a prophet. God's promise was that we would have the ultimate high priest, pay the ultimate high sacrifice so that we could have relationship with him. And his real promise, his real will is that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And so even though in the moment, Moses had to be the plan. Moses had to be the one on the mountain hearing the voice of God, experiencing God in a way that no man has really ever got to experience to come down and try to present who God is to the people. God's different today. Under this new covenant, this new, we know it is the Old and New Testament, this new covenant where Jesus had his own mountaintop experience. Unfortunately, it was on a cross. But fortunately for us, he paid that price so we could have access to God, so that we don't have to go through a high priest anymore because our high priest already took care of everything. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he removed the separation. In fact, when Jesus died, the temple was torn from top to bottom, representing, I'm here. You can speak to me, child. You can speak to me, darling. Like, I can speak to you. And how many of us in this room would say, man, we, we might be in our own wilderness? We might have heard a promise of God. We might have experienced a promise of God at a young age. It's next gen Sunday and I am, I promise you God speaks to children. I've seen it firsthand. I promise you God speaks to teenagers. I promise you God speaks through teenagers. And the reality is sometimes we hear a promise from God and it seems so impossible and it seems so distant and it seems so uh, unlikely to happen in our life because of all of the mess that has happened. But I'm telling you, like don't, don't stop believing the promises of God because the ultimate promise has already happened for you. We don't have to live in, and wander inside of this wilderness alone. And God was trying to remind them that I'm here for you. I'm right here. I'm gonna provide manna in the morning and, and I'm gonna provide quail in the evening, just like you asked for it. And in the same way, whatever your wilderness or wasteland looks like, God wants to provide for you, but you do have to have a shift of perspective. And maybe you're in the ultimate wasteland of not understanding who God is at all. Maybe like Will, you, you've not taken the steps necessary. And what's crazy is the steps necessary to encounter God are so much simpler because his son had to walk many, many steps for you. And he did that. And now all you have to do is believe and trust that he gave his life for you, that God has good things for you, that he is a good father saying, come on, come on, I got you. Come on, come, come to me. Doesn't matter how far gone you think you are, he's right there. And maybe that first step for you is to take a step backwards. It is to take a, like an about face turn and, and face the God of the universe because we have access to that today. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I just wanna ask you, you came here on Next Gen Sunday, but maybe God's speaking to you today. Maybe God's pulling and tugging on your heart and saying, hey, I've been waiting for you. Hey, I, I know it feels lonely and, and dry in this, in this wasteland, but I'm, I'm right here. And maybe for you for the first time or the first time in a fresh time, because maybe you gave, and I think Pastor Jeremy said this earlier, you gave your life to Jesus a long, long time ago. But since then you've drifted, you've lost the ability to trust God. You might've even forgotten about who God is. So maybe for the first time or a fresh time, you would say, I want to, through that high priest Jesus, put my absolute trust in him and I wanna give him my life today. Would you raise your hand? I see your hands in here and it's a symbolic sign of surrender. God sees your hands. God knows your heart. And maybe as, as I pray, you would just, in your own words, in your own voice, say, God, I give you my life. God, help me, meet me in this wasteland. God, deliver me from this wasteland. Because I promise you, his promises are yes and amen. His promises are true. His promises are to restore, fulfill, provide for everything that you need. So as I pray, would you just, in your own words, commit your life to Jesus today. Say, my life is not my own anymore. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And today, Jesus, I'm giving you the ultimate high priest, my, my one and only savior. I give you my life. Jesus, I thank you for every hand that's raised in this place and Nacogdoches and online and Duncan and Eyeball and every person that's hearing this message today. God, I pray that you would truly reach down in only the way that you can, in the way that, that was so protected back in the day. And now, God, you have access to us and we have access to you. And God, you can truly reach down and speak to us. You can touch our hearts and you can change our lives. And I pray today as people are giving their life to you, as people are, are making that turn to see your face, I pray, God, that you would bring joy to them. God, that they would, have, uh, that they would remember this day to be the day that, that they saw the joy of their salvation. They, they stopped looking at their, their progress they stop looking at their wilderness and they turn their eyes on you and begin to trust you. And this day will be a pivotal moment for the rest of their life. And God, just as in your word, we're able to look back at pivotal moments and we're able to build altars and we're able to see uh, your goodness, this will be a day that we will build our own altar here and say, God changed my life forever. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.